0: In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Vue core team member Chris Fritz about common Vue.js anti-patterns and solutions that you can use instead. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 87. Hey everyone, before we get into the interview with Chris today, I just wanted to share a quick update on my upcoming course, Advanced View Component Design. I started recording lessons about two weeks ago and I'm currently up to 27 screencasts covering all sorts of topics like how to write your own custom controlled components, how to wrap external libraries, how to better encapsulate components using portals, uh, how to write render functions in view and how you can use those to create data provider components and renderless UI components, all sorts of really cool stuff. Uh, I started sharing some of these screencasts for free with anyone who has signed up for updates on the course. So if you haven't signed up already and you're interested in checking out some of these preview lessons, uh, make sure you head over to advancedview.com, enter your email, and I'll send you two free lessons right away that show you how to use portals to build way better modal components. Uh, that's all I got for now. Enjoy the interview with Chris. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, as always, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with Chris Fritz. How's it going, Chris?
1: I'm doing great.
0: So for anyone who uh, isn't familiar with you, do you mind uh, just briefly introducing yourself and talking a little bit about what you do?
1: Definitely. So uh, as you said, my name is Chris Fritz. I'm in the Vue.js core team, and I am the curator for our documentation and also work on a lot of other uh, community and... Uh, development tooling and stuff like that. So I I help organize a lot of like global Vue events and uh, coordinate with people in the Vue ecosystem to help improve tooling for Vue and also uh, work on things like the ESLint plugin uh, and the Vue CLI and things like that to help make people's development lives easier. And really it's ultimately selfish because it makes my life easier too (laughs) because I do a lot of Vue development
0: Awesome man, yeah. So uh, the reason I wanted to have you on the show actually is because um, I recently watched a presentation that you gave at a conference. I don't know when the conference was, but it was it's was called like Seven Secret Patterns View Consultants Don't Want You to Know or something.
1: Very it, clickbaity. Yeah, yep, perfect. That was it exactly.
0: Yeah, and it was uh, it was really good, and I learned a lot of uh, interesting things from it. And ever since then, uh, me and you have kind of been chatting here and there on Twitter about. Uh, different problems and stuff that I've been trying to solve with some of the stuff that I've been working on uh, with Vue. So I thought it would be cool to to hop on the podcast and uh, talk about some Vue stuff. So um, the topic that I kind of wanted us to to cover today that I thought would be really interesting is is sort of Vue.js you know, quote unquote anti patterns, uh, things that maybe uh, people do when there's alternative solutions or features that people maybe commonly abuse in ways that they they shouldn't be. Abusing, and also situations when it's a good idea to use these "quote unquote" anti-patterns, because just about every uh, bad practice has its uh, has its place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about uh, some of that stuff and hopefully uh, uncover some some cool ideas and maybe talk about some alternative solutions that uh, maybe are new to me and new to the listeners. So maybe the best place to start would be just opening the floor and asking you, are there any kind of common things that you see people uh, doing in Vue that you tend to recommend against?
1: I think the top thing is regarding state management. So a a lot of people feel hesitant to jump into Vuex uh, when their state starts to become a little bit more complex. And I think one of the reasons for that is that other state management solutions often do feel really complex. And even with Vuex, like, there is some boilerplate mm-hmm. uh, that, that has to be done. And there are ways to uh, minimize that boilerplate almost completely. And using things like generators, the, the development can go very, very quickly. But a lot of people try to put that off a little bit. And sometimes we'll use an event bus pattern, uh, which we used to talk about in our guide and I no longer, in the recent rewrite of our component section, I actually removed the section about the event bus because even mentioning it as something that people could do, even though I didn't recommend it, yeah, uh, was making people <laughs> go and do it.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> so so with the event bus, I guess yeah. like, um, maybe it'd be worth talking a little bit about what, what you mean by that and, and why that's uh, bad. Like the way that I... I yeah. traditionally used an event bus to try and deal with state in view in the past is you sort of try to avoid having global state at all by using a- an event bus which kind of sounds nice right it sounds like oh I'm avoiding like global state there's no shared state between anything it yeah. feels kind of more professional or something like you always hear mm-hmm. about global variables are bad you know what I mean so global state yeah. sounds like it would be bad as well but what you typically end up doing with an event bus is, Duplicating that state and trying to keep it synchronized between multiple places, which yeah, um, has a lot of other problems and stuff that comes along with it. So maybe it'd be interesting to to expand on on that a little bit and hear some of your perspective there.
1: Absolutely, the, the way that you just put it now uh, was was beautiful. So yeah, you, you do end up duplicating a lot of your state, and you find oh, okay, well there's this one place that is not subscribing to you know this particular event in the event bus, and we need to set up the state there as well. And then you also run into a situation where, in debugging, it's impossible to tell, like where some where a state change is coming from. Mm-hmm. So if you ever end up with state that you're having a hard time tracking down, uh, the event bus pattern won't help you. And so as your as your application scales, especially, and there are more places that things could be happening from, the harder it becomes to figure out what's going on in your application when you need to really dig in. And Vuex provides um provides the mechanisms to to make everything really, really traceable and allows you to do some really cool stuff while you're working too, like uh going back in time. In the in the Vue DevTools, uh there's a Vuex tab where you can actually uh trace back the different state changes that have been made which is really useful not only for debugging but also for prototyping so that you can go back in time um, and then you know change some styles and then there's a hot module reload and then you can forward in time again okay yeah that looks good this is really useful for something like you know when you log in and then it shows you like a little alert that says like uh, you just logged in and then like it disappears after three seconds
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So um, typically the way that I've used Vue in my projects, I'm still mostly working on mostly server rendered uh, applications where I'm using Vue to sort of enhance things on the front end versus Mm -hmm. building like a single page application where I feel like something like Vuex ends up being a lot more commonly used maybe uh, because I tend to not have a lot of kind of global state to have to manage because there's a lot of just you know, fresh server render pages and we're yeah. just kind of decorating little pieces of it. So I'd be kind of interested to know more about uh, maybe the sorts of things that you typically are storing in
1: global state with Vuex. In SPA applications, or are you thinking more in the the kind of progressive enhancement applications that you're talking about?
0: Uh, I, it doesn't really matter, honestly. Just uh, any examples you can, you can share of uh, situations where... Someone might be trying to do something with an event bus, but you think it's better served by keeping that state stored in uh, Vuex and sort of having these two places just subscribe to that single yeah. state. I think it's useful to talk about concrete examples uh, anyways, if you can come yes. up with any.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I can. So uh, one really common example is the current user and you know token information and things like that. That's something that oftentimes a lot of different components want access to. You know, to see if the current user is logged in and maybe you know, show something a little bit different, maybe show information that's specific to that user, like yeah. saying, hi, user.firstname.
0: Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've also seen uh, situations where at least my uh, sort of impression was that sometimes it seems like people are, are using Vuex to store things as global state when it could still just be local component state. Yeah, um, is that a, something that you've seen people do?
1: It's something I I do see sometimes. I don't see it as often, but but sometimes people are building out a component and they think it's going to be something that they'll need to reach for a Vuex state for, mm-hmm. uh, not realizing that this is actually a pretty simple case. And and especially if you want something to be reusable, yeah, it's often it's often useful to keep that in local state instead. So for example, if you have a little alert button, and that alert button is keeping track of whether it's closed.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, or not 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 button, but like a little alert box. Sure. Y- you probably don't want to store whether that alert box is closed in Vuex and also like for all other like alert boxes. Yeah. It's very unlikely that anything else needs to subscribe to that state or needs to interact with that state.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think... Um... I think I, I see people sometimes getting into situations where they see something like Vuex as a solution to state management, and they sort of go all in, in a way that maybe it was not intended to be used. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. There's st- still local component state it makes sense for a state that's local to that component that doesn't need yeah. to be reused by a bunch of places. So I think it's worth uh, sort of pointing out.
1: And I, I think a really good sign, some people ask me sometimes, like, so when do I need Vuex then? Like, when should I actually go and, go and reach for it? When should I introduce it to a project? And the answer that I usually give is that when you find yourself adding, uh, like passing down a lot of props through nested components, and then bubbling up events all the way back up to, to a single component that is c- coordinating between all these sibling components that really like need to interact with each other, yep. that's a case where, yeah, this is, this is getting pretty unwieldy just using props down events up let's move to view x
0: yeah and i could definitely see situations too where if you're seeing this like really deep prop drilling it's some it's often easy to kind of see when i'm passing this prop to this component not because this component will ever care about it but only because i happen to be using this other component inside of it that needs this information so if you have a lot of um, components that use slots where you can pass in child components and stuff and now all of a sudden uh, you know some state needs to get past that and now the parent needs to know about it even though the parent really doesn't care because it doesn't use it itself I could definitely see how um, you could identify situations like that where you know does it really make sense that this child component is getting this piece of state from this parent like should that parent even really know about it Mm -hmm. and if you can ask that question and sort of answer it sometimes you know that can be a good way to figure out well maybe this should be coming from a different place and maybe global state like Vuex is the place uh, for that to come from cool yeah um so aside from from that sort of situation of people passing events all over the place to sort of avoid uh state are there any other things that you uh, commonly see people doing that you think there are better solutions to?
1: Let's see. So one thing that I, I see quite often is people accessing properties like this. dollar sign parent in order to reach into the parent and you know, manipulate some kind of state or something like that rather than emitting an event to let the parent know what it should change. Yeah. And some people... Some people might say, like, well, what's what's wrong with that? Like it works. And one of the advantages of a component based UI and and one of the ideals is that in any single component, you should not have to think about anything outside of that component mm-hmm. in order to in order to work on it. That's what makes these huge complex applications like actually understandable for mere mortals like us. <laughs> you know, we can't keep the whole application in our heads, especially after it's been going for, you know, at least a few months. Yeah. I certainly can. not And the moment that you reach into the parent, what you have is in the child, you can see where that state is, like you can see what you're doing, but the parent has no idea that that child is manipulating it. Yeah. So now you could have behavior in the parent that's happening, and you don't understand why it's happening, simply because it has children that are manipulating it. So generally, whenever you have interaction between components you want both components to have something that lets you know what it's touching and uh like which or like what it's touching and which component yeah and have very clearly defined responsibilities
0: so that actually um it makes me think of another question but maybe we should talk about this one in a little bit more depth uh, first. Can you think of a concrete example maybe of where somebody would be trying to manipulate something on a parent, like a, a specific component example um, where someone might be doing it? Like I'm I'm trying to think of a situation where maybe yeah, you have something. Yeah, I should have with the example. Yeah, it's always hard <laughs> okay. to come up with good examples for this sort of thing on the fly, but I think it really helps to, uh, to frame the conversation. Do you have anything in mind?
1: Let's see. So let's say someone has a modal component. Actually, let's let's go back to our alert. So we, we have our alert box, and we might also have another component that's a alert box close button.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the alert box close button might, you know, w- when it's clicked, it might reach into the parent and tell it that it's closed. So, you know, yeah. this.parent.close. And like close can be a method.
0: Sure, or even just manipulating, like this dot parent dot open equals false or something directly. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in, in that situation, um, see that situation seems like a, a hard one to really explain to someone why it feels bad because the components are so tightly coupled together. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like an alert box close button. So it doesn't yeah, but, seem but, too crazy that it knows know, that it's in it, an alert box.
1: And it, it always, it always starts in situations where like, hmm, this feels all right. And then other developers see that pattern and they'll use it in other places. And things will slip through code reviews. And it's hard to draw a hard line. But anytime you use it, anytime you use it, you'll be making the application more difficult to debug and, and like really for each individual component, impossible to make sense of it without knowledge of other components around it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So um, the The topic that that made me think about is a a discussion I was having with a friend uh, the other day. We were trying to sort of think about a heuristic for when it makes sense to emit events from a child versus passing in a callback prop to Mm -hmm. a child for it to call when something happens. So I think like um, in the React world, for example, it's a lot more common to instead of having like listening for a close event and then doing something when the child fires a close event, like this yep. alert close button might be fire, emitting a close event and then the parent would update its state to say open yeah. is false or whatever. So
1: the, the, the parent would pass like a close handler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like an
0: on close prop, which is mm-hmm. then it's just the same as any other prop that you're passing in. But now the child yep. is just going to call that method. Has that is that something that you thought a lot about in Vue and when it makes sense to pass in like callback versus listen for an event? Or is there really any difference at all?
1: Well, yeah, it's really stylistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the reasons that I like the event system is that it's very explicit, like, what's happening? Uh, And you you can, something that's nice about Vue is in event handlers, you can emit or or you can uh, have inline expressions. So you can say on close on this, app button or, uh, you know, notification close button or something like that component. Uh, In the parent, you can say on close is open equals false. Yeah. Uh, Whereas you wouldn't be able to pass down an expression as an event handler just because of the way that JavaScript is. You have to wrap that in a function. Yeah. And so it can sometimes make things like a little bit cleaner, especially for really simple event handlers. Uh, And also I like the fact that, with emit, you are being very explicit about what parents can know about uh, in a way that's like a little bit different from just like, you know, on whatever, whatever event handlers, you know, you can have a big list of props like that, but they tend to be, yeah, I just, I I, I like that. I like the emit, (laughs) like having, having it separated, like all the things that we get from the parent and all the things that we send to the parent. Yeah. You know, having those be two discrete areas, I guess it's, it, it feels more organized to me.
0: Yeah. I think that makes sense because in one model, everything is a prop, right? Including mm-hmm. these callback handlers, which yeah has its own sort of appeal in a sense that it sort of feels like simpler, right? Like you just pass things into the child. That's all you can really do. But mm-hmm. um, even in that model, there's, two types of things that you might be passing into a child. You might be passing in data that it can use, or you might be passing in uh, actions that it doesn't really know what they do, but it needs to invoke them sort of on your behalf when certain things Mm -hmm. happen. And by using the event pattern sort of explicitly, you kind of get to draw like a hard line in the sand between those two things. And even just looking at your markup for your templates uh, or sorry your markup for your components you can sort of easily just see well there's a colon that's data that's going in there's an at sign yeah. that's an action you know what i mean yeah so yeah, uh, yeah. i th- think it makes sense yeah it is like a stylistic thing but I, c- I could see um
1: but it is functionally equivalent like if you are if you're doing that in your app you don't need to you don't need to stop <laughs> and yeah it does know, seem sort of happy, like if you're happy with that if you've heard everything that we've said and you say like i still like you know passing on click handlers yeah uh, you know as props that's absolutely fine just keep yeah. doing it
0: yeah it does seem like more idiomatic though to be doing like an at close instead of an on close prop for sure that seems to be the more view uh way to handle that sort of thing
1: yeah it is what we demonstrate in the documentation.
0: Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI.
2: Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And So we did the, the tour and looked at uh, Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy and we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer so the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important if we get an email from a customer And the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, OK, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it.
0: So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick CI and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. So I think um another topic that uh, would be interesting to talk about a little bit is uh, watchers in view. Mm-hmm. So um, watchers are a feature that I end up having to reach for in you know a number of situations, but every single time I use a watcher, I always kind of feel like I've, uh, thrown in the towel or something. You know what I mean? It feels like, ah, I really wish I didn't have to do this. Something about it just doesn't <laughs> feel like the right way to do this, but I can't come up with any other solution. So I sort mm-hmm. of, you know, have to do it. Um, what is your sort of take on watchers when to use them, uh, Situations that you've run into where maybe people reach for them, but you have an alternative solution that's worth considering? Just sort of any uh, perspective you have on on that feature and how people use it, I think would be interesting to talk about.
1: Well, first, I will say that uh, Sarah Drasner, who's also on the core team, recently published an article on CSS tricks going over computed properties, watchers, and methods, and when to use each, and the the sort of similarities and differences between each one. Uh, so, and, and it's very thorough. I definitely recommend checking out that article, but I, I will go into it. So for, for watchers specifically, I would use them for anything that needs to be asynchronous or, or anything where you want to trigger some kind of side effect. So for example, yeah, I, I think I need to talk about computed properties at the same time because in, in most cases where people reach for watchers, I think they usually want... A computed property. Uh, This is something that new developers do sometimes, or like new view developers do sometimes. So anytime you want to maintain a new piece of state that always updates whenever other state changes, including other computed properties, then you want a computed property. So for example, if you have first name and last name, and you want to keep track of full name, you can compute full name With first name plus last name.
0: Yeah. It can be derived from those two pieces of state. So the alternative, right, is that someone has a first name in their data object, last Mm -hmm. name, and a full name. And they have a watcher on first name and a watcher on last name. And they're updating full name anytime that changes.
1: Exactly. And the, the downside to that is that you have to keep track of anything else that might affect full name. So, for example when you, if you decide to add a middle name, then you have to also make sure that you're watching first name, you're watching last name, and you're watching middle name, and then triggering the state change when any three of those change. And so it's it's really easy to to go out of date uh, or yeah, to, to to have state not, not be quite in sync. And with a computed property, you just give it the formula essentially yeah. for, for this new piece of state. And anytime any of those dependencies are changed it will automatically reevaluate and then that property will be cached so that it doesn't have to reevaluate every time you use it unless the state has actually changed. So there's a there's a little performance benefit that you get over over doing something like a method you know comparing it to a method if you just created a, a function called git full name and then you called git full name in your template or your render function.
0: So situations, I guess, where you would need to use watchers are anytime you have some piece of information that is based on other information in some way or another, but cannot be completely derived just from um, other state that you're tracking, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some good examples of, of when you might need to use a, a watcher and a computed property is not going to be sufficient?
1: Got it. So let's say you have an input that should autocomplete. And I think you recently built like a cool autocomplete demo, right? Yeah. That you shared on Twitter. So if you're not following Adam already, uh, follow him at Adam Wathen. And he's tweeting a lot of really <laughs> cool view stuff these days. Uh, and also, I'm, I'm really into Tailwind CSS. So check out his Tailwind CSS stuff <laughs> too, because he created Tailwind. Uh, actually, a little aside, just uh, got another client onto Tailwind yesterday during a meeting.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty cool to build something and then uh, see people actually using it for stuff that actually matters, like bigger projects than I've ever used my own stuff on. It's a pretty cool feeling.
1: Yeah, so anyway, anyway, now going on answering your question about watchers and when to use them. So let's say if you have an autocomplete input and any time the user finishes typing, So let's say they've stopped typing for, you know, 400 seconds and you can have like a, you can use something like low dashes to bounce to detect Mm -hmm. when they've stopped typing for uh, 400 milliseconds. And then you want to make a call to some API to fetch like a list of search results. You know, like this is, this is basically what uh, Google does, like google.com. If you uh, it, I don't believe they, they use Vue. I think they use just like <laughs> raw JavaScript. Uh, probably uh, probably something like really cool and performant because it has to run on everybody's machine like 10,000 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> but I, anyway, Vue is very performant too. But <laughs> I think Google scale is a different kind of scale. Sure. So uh, whenever you type something into Google, uh, autocomplete suggestions come up. And whenever you need to do something like that, that's when a watcher is really useful. Whenever you need to make some kind of like a synchronous call to an API, uh, or whenever you need to trigger some kind of side effects outside of the component, which you know should be relatively rare, but sometimes you need to. Uh, or if you need to, if you need some like third party library that you're integrating into the component to you know do something. Like let's say you have like some kind of date picker plugin that isn't specific to view, then you can, you can have it manually, like do something with the DOM every time something changes.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think um, a situation that I've run into in the past, that's always kind of felt sort of dirty, but I haven't come up with a a better solution for is, let me think of the best way to describe it. So here's the concrete situation. So I have a modal component that transitions in and transitions out. Mm -hmm. And I'm rendering this modal in a portal in view, using that really great portal view library that I'll I'll have to link to. But I'm reusing the same portal target for multiple modals on uh, the same page. So I have to sort of conditionally render uh, each actual portal instance, because you can't send multiple modals to this thing at the same time. You can only ever have one there at once, even if they're Mm -hmm. sharing the same target. So I have this situation where say you have a button that you click that opens a modal and changes some state uh, that has, you know, open equals true. And mm-hmm. now the modal is going to open. Uh, but when the, that open is sent back to false, um, I have a v-if to prevent that modal from being sent to the portal. So the modal closes right away, which kills my transition because it's been removed from the DOM before the transition is finished. Uh, d- was that clear? Does that make sense? I haven't talked about anything related to watchers yet, but I'm just trying to uh, explain this circuit situation. So
1: I think I'm following. Okay.
0: So the solution that I had to put in place to get my like sort of leaving transition to actually work was that I couldn't have my modals open state be entirely based on a prop that was passed into the parent saying whether it should be open or not. Mm -hmm. I had to have it tracking its own open or closed state that was initially derived from that prop so that on an after leave event, after the modal has actually transitioned out, Mm -hmm. I could fire a event up to the parent saying, okay, it's actually closed now. So now you can change your state so that the transition actually finished. Um, So to implement that, basically, I have to have this modal component that has an open prop or like a show prop that says whether it's open or not Mm -hmm. but instead of the modal just having like a v show on this prop directly it has to keep track of its own like open state in data that is initially derived from that prop and when it's set to false that's what triggers the transition for it to leave and then after leave it fires that event up to the parent saying, you can change your state to close now. So I have this crappy situation where I have to basically synchronize state between the parent that's telling the modal whether it's open or closed Mm -hmm. and the modal itself, uh, keeping track of its open and closed state so it can account for the transition durations. So to make that actually work, I have to have a watcher in the modal watching the prop so that when the prop changes back to true, the modal can change its local copy of that state uh, back to true because I have to account for that transition. So that's like an annoying situation mm. I've run into where um, I've needed to use Watcher sort of to synchronize state between a parent and child on something that I wish could be entirely based on a prop, uh, but couldn't because of this annoying transition thing. So I don't know if that's a situation that other people have run into in the past, or if you've run into situations where you have to use uh, a Watcher for something like that um, because of... It's just sort of because of user interface concerns and the way you want things mm-hmm. to sort of work or animate uh, or yeah. look, which can be annoying because it feels like you're breaking away from this very sort of pure view of how things should be um, sort of derived from from other state. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about that? Does that make sense to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or,
1: it, uh... it, it makes sense. Like anytime you, you have to maintain the same piece of state in more than one place, yeah, it, it does. It does feel like I have to be doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, but th- there are edge cases where like sometimes that that can be necessary. Uh, and yeah, it looking at I, if I look at the code later, feel free to feel free to yeah, shoot, I'll shoot send this sample to over to me and I'll be happy to give you some thoughts and maybe we can, you know, leave something in the show, na- show notes or you can just follow us on Twitter to, you know, get get some of that conversation later. Yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> Um, Okay, so here's another one that I think is is actually really common that I don't actually see people talk about very often, um, which is return values on methods in view components Mm -hmm. and using those return values uh, in templates and stuff, even to say like V if uh, the result of this method call is true or even Mm -hmm rendering like a string in a template that is a method call instead of just like view data or a computed property Mm -hmm. um i don't see that used anywhere in the documentation or anything like that and i feel like i've sort of tried to avoid it because i just kind of felt like that wasn't encouraged so it'd be interesting to hear your take on methods that return values in view components and is that an anti-pattern, or is there a, a a better solution to that in different situations?
1: I'd say if there's a, if you have a method that returns a value, uh, it can very often be a computed property. Mm-hmm. I think the the most common case where you might be doing that is when you need to rely on some data that isn't reactive, and and maybe maybe you don't want it to be reactive for some reason, or you need to. Uh, you know do something inside of a, a list
0: yeah that's the situation i think i see a lot is where you kind of want to use a computed property yeah. but it feels like you need to pass a parameter to it and all mm-hmm. of a sudden it feels like you're forced to use a method instead so say mm-hmm. you, like a computed property in a list just like you're saying like if you're trying to show if you have a list of people that have first name and last name and you want to render their full name in a list of course you could just concatenate that stuff in the view but yeah. pretend it's a more complicated situation you want to kind of put that write that logic in JavaScript instead of in your in your template somewhere I think that's the situation where I see people doing that so what do you think about that
1: well I think you I, I think that's okay <laughs> it's okay to use a method in that case I mean you're not going to run into anything that's it's really like oh man you got me (laughs) you know know, like all of a sudden nothing renders or something like that but if you if you want things to be a little bit more performant then you could you could move that into uh like a a a sub component that like happens to be like a a functional component and then the method is like part of that um uh, well it's not really that's not really more performant i guess but i yeah there's not really there's just not really a problem you could try to do something fancy too but uh with like a computer property that returns a function yeah uh but i i don't think you need to mm-hmm. like this isn't a case where
0: that's an interesting you, idea you, you're, you're going I never to get thought about doing that one
1: <laughs> yeah you, you're not going to get a lot of benefit from trying yeah. to solve a, a problem here that doesn't really exist so do you think so there's any okay.
0: value in trying to sort of mentally compartmentalize like methods are for actions and computed properties are for you know, return values. Like, do you, do you make that distinction in your own components usually, or do you not really think about it that way?
1: I, I guess I, I do think about it like that to some extent, but there are also exceptions. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a hard and fast rule that you can always go by. You know, like we just talked about, there are some situations where methods will return values. Yeah, and and that sometimes that's okay.
0: I think the um the suggestion you gave of making a child component is something that I actually have done in that situation a number of times and has worked out. Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty well because typically what ends up happening in that situation is if you have something rendering in a list and you find yourself wanting to use a method where you pass like the current list item because Mm -hmm. you want to calculate something based on it well if you just have a child component for that section instead well all of a sudden that current item in the list is state or a prop in the Mm -hmm. child component. So it can be a computed property all of a sudden because it has that context sort of baked into it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a can be a good solution in those situations if if uh, it feels wrong to be solving it the way they're solving it. But I think you're totally right that there's also plenty of situations where it's totally fine.
1: Yeah. I will say that as a general rule that you can like remember is that anytime you can use a computed property, you should use a computed property.
0: Is there um a performance benefit or, or anything about sort of the internal implementation of how things work that that makes that um, easier to argue from a purely technical and non sort of component design perspective that you know of?
1: Well, as, as compared to watchers, it's going to be a lot less boilerplate because you don't have to individually watch every property that might be part of that formula. Mm-hmm. And compared to a method, it will be more performant because uh, it'll be cached, and only when the dependencies change will it actually be re-evaluated, whereas a method will always be reevaluated.
0: So anytime the component re-renders, it'll exactly. calculate that method value, whereas with a computed property, it'll re-render the component, but it'll try to get cached values for everything. So the mm-hmm. re-render... So yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing, I guess, in general, is that... Um, which I guess it makes sense when you think about it, obviously, but subsequent re-renders of a component in view should always, in theory, be um, less expensive than the initial render because yeah. it's trying to cache all these values, right?
1: Yeah, and sometimes, like in you know data visualization work, I've seen uh, real, real performance benefits from using a computed property in some of those cases because sometimes the things that you want to calculate are non-trivial, mm-hmm. and especially when you're doing them like 10,000 times.
0: Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Okay, so another general topic well actually this one's actually kind of interesting because i've been receiving this question from people a little bit actually is uh the inline template feature of view so i kind of don't think anyone building like single page apps with Vue or like the sort of thing you would build with like nuxt or even the Vue cli basically ever use this feature in Vue at all mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of people building stuff that is like server rendered um are still reaching for this for for certain things so a question i've been getting uh recently is i've been sort of trying to evangelize like really um really sort of interesting use cases for scoped slots in view and writing yeah. components that don't even have any template at all and just purely render something that's passed in from a parent component and only provide data to it and i, mm-hmm. I get people asking me I've had probably three or four people ask me, like, why would you do that instead of just using an inline template for that component? Because then you can just write whatever template you want every time. And it's not really that much different looking at it uh, than using, passing in stuff through a a scoped slot. Uh So it got me just kind of thinking about like the inline template feature view in general. Um, And I would be interested in getting your take on when that's useful or what makes it a bad idea, or if you even think about it at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say that it is included in view to handle edge cases where there is no other solution. So it, it should only be used when you absolutely need it.
0: Can you think of an edge case that would necessitate it?
1: I've personally never had an edge case that necessitated it. But I also uh, work in different applications than than a lot of people work in. Uh, So if you're using it, like you might be fine, but if there's some other tool that Vue can give you that can solve the problem that you're using it for, I'd say go go ahead and switch. And the reason I'd say that is because having your, your templates like separate from your JavaScript code. Yeah, it just just makes the component more difficult to reason about, like more difficult to work on, because you have to switch between these two files and these two contexts in order to figure out, like, okay, so how does how does this all tie together? Yeah. Instead of it just being like in in one file.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, the situation that I think people use it in a lot on server rendered applications is because with a server rendered app, the server rendered HTML is rendered and then view adds its stuff after the fact so a lot of time you get this like really tiny little flicker when view components appear on the screen and if you use an inline template that's baked into the server rendered html then a lot of the time you get like a good enough pre-rendered version of what that's going to look like such that it doesn't move things around on the screen at least Mm. and you can use v cloak to solve that problem yeah Yeah, i was just about to mention that but i still have seen situations where even with even with cloak, all you can really do is basically try and hide something but when it appears it introduces new height to the dom sometimes and things shift down or you can use cloak to sort of try and hide that whole section of the page until it appears so there, there are different solutions to that yeah
1: you could do something like uh, opacity zero and then you know have it fade in after yeah after it's rendered
0: Yeah, but even if it's set to opacity zero, if it doesn't exist in the DOM at all yet, then it doesn't have a height, right? So if you have like a component tag sprinkled into a server-rendered page Mm -hmm. um, when Chrome renders it, for example, at the beginning all it does is treat it like a div with no content in it, right? So it's just like a zero height thing.
1: But without Um, the content, without things like v4 being rendered, like that will never be a, a complete solution anyway for that problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, things that I've done in the past to try and uh provide like the best experience possible there which end up not being worth the work (laughs) is um so basically creating like server side partials for all my view components so Mm -hmm. using the templating language i'm using on the server side if i have something like a uh, delete button or something i might have a delete button partial that's written in php that has like two halves to it one is the half that shows before view is rendered, so when the cloak Mm -hmm. stuff is still active, and then the other half is after things are done, and I'll basically duplicate the view template in both uh, places so that it looks like it's pre-rendered, but maybe the button is disabled to start. Or if you're rendering a table and the server knows how many items are in the table, I can render a table with 10 rows that kind of looks disabled or something and then gets swapped out, but it ends up not being worth the trouble. It's such a maintenance nightmare to keep all that stuff <laughs> yeah. synchronized. Uh, the other thing I discovered the other day um, when trying to trying to come up with like a very strong case for why using inline template is different than using a scoped slot, at least, yeah. in these components where you provide the entire template, is that with the inline template, You don't have access to the parent scope the same way that you do with a scoped slot. It looks like you do when you're writing it because Mm -hmm. you're writing it in the parent, but that template actually doesn't exist in the same scope at all. So if if your scoped slot template depends on slot props that are being passed to you from the child and things that are in the parent, which is very common, I think. That's kind of one of the benefits. I mean, that's the whole point of... um, closures anonymous functions right is being Mm -hmm. able to have access to that surrounding scope Uh, so if you need to do that then you could never use inline template anyways and scope slots are just cooler so
1: (laughs) yeah and i I will also say for a more like programmatic solution where you don't have to maintain like two separate things Mm -hmm. uh, you could use some kind of pre-rendering so if you're if you're using uh yeah depending on your environment like if you're Adding view as progressive enhancement to a site, this is a little bit more difficult, but still technically possible. It's just whether yeah. it's worth the work. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've seen the kind of but two once, solutions to you know, that. It's,
1: it's, once you got it working, <laughs> yeah. Once you got it working, then you should have something that you shouldn't have to maintain very much, but you would have to provide uh, sort of default props for each component. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, to to replace those server side props before yeah before they get rendered. So you could you could do something like that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah,
0: tricky one. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that's CodeChip. So CodeChip is a hosted, continuous integration platform in the cloud that helps you increase your development productivity and ship to production more frequently. CodeChip lets you standardize your tooling and processes across your teams, speeds up your build times, and integrates into your existing ecosystem of tools. CodeChip is a great fit for your team, whether you're just trying to speed up the build times for large apps or if you want to set up complex delivery pipelines for your microservices using tools like Docker, Kubernetes and others. Forrester recently released their latest Continuous Integration Tools Report, which provides valuable guidance into the rapidly growing continuous integration and continuous delivery market. And CodeShip actually scored as a top five continuous integration vendor in this report. If you're interested in reading this report and learning more about what makes for a great continuous integration and continuous delivery service, uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode and I'll have a link there for you. So if you want to spend less time managing your tools and speed up your software development, give CodeChip a try and sign up for free today at CodeChip.com. I've been a user of CodeChip uh, for many years for all the open source projects that I run continuous integration on, as well as private projects where I use and I couldn't be happier with the service. So thanks to CodeChip for sponsoring the podcast this week, and back to the show. Okay, so moving on, um, another topic that I think is interesting is just sort of code reuse in general in Vue. So Vue has a lot of different sort of features for trying to make it easier for you to reuse code. And uh, I think there's one that's really good and others that I think people shouldn't be using as much these days as we sort of discover new (laughs) new patterns. So the three that I'm thinking of, so there's four that I can think of is components, right? Which is Mm -hmm. kind of that's view of the heart and soul of view is this sort of component driven uh stuff absolutely but then there's also mixins um directives and views like component extend functionality um that are kind of three other tools that view gives you uh for code reuse and i've seen a lot of view libraries that have been written with mix-ins or with directives yeah. that I think if I were to write them would just be components. And I think a lot of that maybe is just because some of these patterns that you need to use to solve these sort of problems with components yeah. are not really uh, well known, maybe are not just yeah. well practiced uh, in the community. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested in getting your take on uh, maybe directives, talking a little bit about what directives are in view. And good situations uh, for for using them, and maybe situations where someone might try to use them, but you could solve that same problem with a, a component yeah. and why that might be a reasonable
1: alternative. Well, I, I will say that first, like there are, I, I'd say there are even more code reuse patterns that you could use. like I, scope slots is one that we talked about earlier that you can use to uh, reuse uh, reuse behavior in a component. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's what I kind of mean when I talk about components as a a code reuse mechanism and kind of all the things that come with components like slots and scope slots and and passing events and props. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like even in the. um, Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go go ahead. No. I was going to say like the example that we see in the view docs for for a directive is like a V focus directive, right? For focusing an element when it's rendered uh, on the screen. Mm -hmm. So. I think you could still write that as a component, <laughs> um, which might be an interesting exercise, but maybe not worth it. So maybe it's worth kind of mm-hmm. talking a little bit about when the ergonomics of a directive mm-hmm. make more sense over an alternative solution.
1: So I, I would say a directive makes more sense on an in, in element. Like that's, that's what they're for. They're for uh, behavior that you want to share between many different elements that is uh, maybe not deserving of being its own thing Mm -hmm. so for so for something like in in an app input component for example if you have like an uh app input focus uh, autofocus component like you could you could create that but is like autofocus something that you you want to do that frequently that you need that to be its own component Mm -hmm. and then also like, autofocus is something that really, like, doesn't have anything to do specifically with inputs. Like, that could be uh, a text area or a select or, you know, some kind of button. You know, you, yeah. could, you could really do that with anything. So it really is more, more generic and uh, relates specifically to the DOM. So anytime that you need to, like, manually manipulate the DOM and it's something that is... Like generic between elements, you know, generally, then then I'd say a directive is often good for that. another another really good example is uh Acrium on Twitter and GitHub or uh Guillaume in, in real life. <laughs> he has a V tooltip library that offers a V tooltip directive. And the, the directive adds a tooltip or removes a tooltip with Popper.js. And and that's another good use case for, for a directive.
0: Okay, so what sort of uh, directives have you written in uh, your own projects?
1: Honestly, I find myself writing very, very few directives. Um, let's see. I think I've only actually written one directive in my life, <laughs> and that was for—or actually, not including like documentation and examples mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, actually, for an app, uh, and that was for clickaway behavior. Okay. So. Yep. When you want something to open and then you want it to be able to close whenever you like click on something that is not it
0: yeah and there's a good, a couple good libraries um for click away that work that way yeah. too some something that i've been meaning to do sort of as an exercise is to see what it would look like to implement that with a component like a wrapper renderless component because i think you could still do it like if you wrote a component that was like a click away component that just had a slot and was written with a render function And all it did was render the slot that it was given. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like in that render function or maybe in the mounted callback, whenever like you actually have a reference to this dot dollar L, right? Which is whatever the root element is going to actually be. Since this component doesn't provide its own stuff, you could still set up that same event listener that you would do with that directive to basically say document dot on click, check if um, the thing, the thing that was clicked was this element if not then run this callback that could be Mm -hmm. provided just as like a prop to to the component Mm -hmm. so i think i think it's interesting to to compare uh some of these solutions because i think in that case like writing that as a directive is much more ergonomic you know what i mean it's just like it's just like adding one attribute to the root of something and passing through the function that should run yeah um but it's interesting to me that you could still solve some of these problems using, like, component composition, uh, which I think is just useful to, to help understand the power of that sort of compositional approach. Yeah. So what about uh, mixins? When do you use mixins in Vue?
1: So mixins are also something that I use relatively rarely, although not quite as rarely as directives. Um, I, might, I might find myself using them when I need to share uh, some behavior, between a lot of similar elements. Uh, But gosh, the use cases that I I find myself using this for are often really specific. So let's see if I can think of a general example. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm often not thinking of a general example for really for a lot of the things that I think people do use mixins for. And this is something that I I do see used a little bit more often than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, If you haven't checked out scope slots yet, uh, that's something that can often do exactly what you need to do with the mixin.
0: Yeah, I think um, I ag- agree entirely. Like, I haven't really had a need for using mixins and components since getting comfortable with using scoped slots. And I think some of the advantages are, like, with mixins, when you're using a mixin to add something to a component, and I guess maybe it's worth explaining a little bit about what a mixin is, but it's basically just a bunch of stuff that you can add to your component that kind of gets merged in with some of the default stuff that exists in a component right so a mixing could yeah. give you a data property it could give you some computed properties even i think it could add it methods
1: re- it can have anything that yeah. component options
0: can have so all it is is just a way to merge a bunch of stuff into a mm-hmm. component you can think of it sort of like a, a trait in a pro and another programming language where you're mixing something into a class and it comes along i guess with all the same sort of disadvantages that you see um in those situations right like you sort of have stuff getting introduced sort of implicitly and silently mm-hmm. and you don't have a lot of control over what things get named and if you mix in two mixins that both provide a method that has too generic of a name you can run into naming collisions and you have no mm-hmm. control over that sort of thing yeah whereas using scoped slots um, it's more compositional so you can get anything you want from this component that's providing this shared behavior but yeah you sort of get to choose what you bring in. you can choose to alias those to whatever you want and use them in in whatever way you want to. Um, but I guess there's situations maybe where with mix-ins like things are getting mixed into like the JavaScript portion yeah. of a component whereas with a scoped slot, the things that are being provided to you from this wrapper component are being provided to the template. And sometimes you have to do a little bit of uh, dancing to get that mm-hmm. passed back into like a JavaScript environment where it feels like you're not loading your template with, with too much logic.
1: I will say that when I do write a mix in, it's usually, it's usually actually a, a function that returns ob- like a uh, component options. So, so those will be dynamically generated. So, so that'll be for components that, you know, do something really specific, but I, I need the behavior to be like slightly different for, for each variation of that component. And, and then also because it's in a function, then you also have a place to store like uh, private variables and stuff like that, that you don't have to attach to, you know, the actual component.
0: Cool. So um, the last one that I wanted to talk about, which seems to be uh, we were kind of talking about before the call, sort of silently uh, hidden away, is uh, the extend uh, function in Vue that lets you kind of create a component from another component, sort of inheriting all of its stuff, if I'm understanding how it works correctly. Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested to know sort of Maybe a little bit about uh, how that works, why it's been sort of silently undocumented now, and what. Um, so it is still documented in the API. Yeah, yeah, it is still in the API, but it's not we in. A, it it's the not guide. really. It's not really encouraged as like a a code reuse mechanism in like the components guide anymore. So.
1: Well, that's partly because it's it's just un, unnecessary. Like you can use the extends option on a component to achieve exactly the same thing. Okay. Uh, and by the way. Since we just talked about mixins, mixins and extends are actually like the like the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, the only the only difference is the semantics.
0: Yeah, like you, you can know, only like extend the, the, the one component, but you can mix in multiple.
1: Yeah, so it, with extends, um, the component that you're extending is assumed to be the full base component that you're adding stuff onto, and with mixins, the uh, the component that you're in right now is assumed to be the full base component, and then the mixins are just adding in extra options. But yeah. the, the the way that both of those merge options is actually exactly the same. So you could you could functionally replace extends <laughs> with just mixins, and yeah. it would work the same way. Uh, but yeah, we, we we already have options to do that, and it allows you to uh, specify like how you want components to fit together while still keeping them as just plain JavaScript objects.
0: Yeah. So with the extend feature, the way I sort of understand it is someone might want to use it in a situation where they have like a more generic component and they want to make like a more specific uh, version of it. Right. So Mm -hmm. say you have like a modal component that, um, you know, again, it's just like a very generic modal component, but encapsulates some behavior, like maybe some click away stuff or escape key handling, uh, some different things like that. But maybe you have like a confirm delete modal that's like Mm -hmm. a specific modal with specific content and some extra behavior. Um, Would, not necessarily is this the best way, but could you write that more specific modal as like an extension of the the base model, like you would do view dot extend and create this more specific modal. Is that like a good mental model for thinking about sort of what the intention of the feature maybe was?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you could. Uh, And another example that I I like to use that is relatively common is for like inputs. So you might have like a base input component and then maybe, uh, you know, also a currency input and maybe, you know, something like uh, a, we'll just stick with currency input. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So if, if you have a currency input, you know that's going to behave a little bit differently, and but like the the base behavior is all the same. Uh, you're just adding some extra things to it, uh, but you want to inherit all that that base behavior. Yeah.
0: So I think the argument against this, in general, is is sort of the same um, conversation that you hear in totally other parts of the programming world. Uh, when people talk about like composition versus inheritance, yeah. basically, right? Mm-hmm. So I think like the the solutions that I've always used to to handle this sort of situation is not to make a more specific component that's based on another component, but to instead make a more specific component that uses that base component inside of itself, maybe yeah. even as like the root node of that component, and then provides mm-hmm. some stuff through through a slot or something.
1: Yeah. So. so yeah, so, yeah. like one pattern that I really like is you could use a, a scope slot, <laughs> which we keep talking about, uh, and y- you could have a, a component that uh, only renders its child and provides some data to it. So that, that could handle, it could be uh, called like a currency handler component or something like that, and you provide it the, the value in money. And it will do all the conversions and like pass, uh, you know, the formatted version of the component, uh, and also uh, it can handle, you know, it can pass uh, event listeners and things like that, so that you can you can essentially transform that and any other kind of input to something that can handle currency very well, and that way you have a currency handler that isn't specific to just inputs. You could use it for anything, and you could even use it for uh situations where you just want to display currency so it's very very versatile uh and then if you wanted to you could you could create a new like currency component or like like currency input based off that input which is wrapped in this other uh renderless component
0: cool so um We've been home for quite a while now i think that's basically all the topics that that i had listed is there anything else that you think is uh, is worth getting into before uh, we start wrapping
1: up so i, I want to do a first a, a quick shout out to uh divya uh sasidaran who I, I was i was talking about that specific currency pattern with recently <laughs> uh so so she um she's developing a library i think called uh, that okay. uh, is is using that pattern, so you nice. can look That's out for that name. sometime soon. <laughs> it is it is good. <laughs> and uh, I also want to. We were talking about View Portal uh, or Portal View earlier, uh, which was built by uh, Torsten Lundborg, uh, also yep. known as uh, Linusborg on Twitter and GitHub and stuff. Uh, he's also on the core team. Uh, definitely check out check out his stuff too.
0: Cool. So um, something else that maybe we should talk about briefly is like you recently actually launched um, a Patreon campaign to help sort of support your focus on open source stuff and, and things for the community. So I did. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: I would love to talk about it. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> so, yeah, I, right now I spend or at least when I first started the Patreon, I was spending 80 percent of my time on consulting. You know, helping people build applications, uh, doing a lot of doing a lot of view consulting, which is good. Like it helps me uh, learn about a lot of different things that people are doing in the community, which helps me like write better documentation, build better tools, things like that. Um, but I'd like to I'd like to flip it, where instead of eighty percent consulting, twenty percent view, I want to do eighty percent view, twenty percent consulting. And there are a lot of projects that just aren't going to be possible until I can spend more time developing, uh, developing these tools. And you can, you can see some of these big projects that I have listed on, the, on my Patreon page. And that's at patreon.com slash chrisviewfritz. I already have more time than I, I was able to budget before because of my existing very generous donors. But I think at the time of recording, I'm at like 800 something dollars. And my, mm-hmm. my goal is 5,000 to really 5,000 per month to really be sustainable and, and do all the things that I, I want to be able to do. Because right now, uh, most of my view work is just uh, purely volunteer. And it's something I got to do on you know nights and weekends and, and between yeah. a bunch of other things. And it's hard to do big projects between other things. Like you really need to set like chunks of time where you can just focus on it. Yeah. Awesome. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah, I think it's a it's a really cool model. I think um, I think that's a really big topic that uh, is probably deserving of a of a whole conversation. Sometime is and getting a lot more front of mind for people is trying to make open source stuff uh, more sustainable and and uh, figuring out ways to to have people work on it full time because you know it's a it's a big job <laughs> doing yeah. some of this stuff and. Some people are fortunate enough to be able to to do it, like like Evan is able to work on Vue full time, which mm-hmm. for sure the community has benefited from that in, in a major way. Versus oh, him being able to just do it on the side, and it makes it a lot easier to to fix bugs and help out issues and stuff. Because um, otherwise, you have a, you have a really big problem in, in the open source community with like entitlement and stuff. Um, you know, it can it can be really frustrating as a maintainer of something or someone trying to help out on a project. Uh, to have people kind of talk about, oh, this is broken. This doesn't solve my situation, and of course, like you want to fix it, but a lot of time there's just no time for it, and it feels like uh,
2: yeah. people
0: don't don't fully under understand that sometimes. So figuring out a way to to make time for it, so uh, you know, everyone can benefit from from this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think is a a really important topic. So
1: it is it is funny how my my open source work by far by far is the most like valuable work that i do (laughs) but also uh strangely the the work that it's harder to get paid for Mm -hmm. um but i i will say uh this is something actionable if you're if you're looking for some way to convince your boss that uh you know they should they should donate to view every month if you're using view in your company here's a way or or donate to to me in particular (laughs) (laughs) here's here's a way that you can sell it so i do a a monthly, and I actually, I think I'm going to make this bi-monthly, but, but currently for sponsors over a certain level, I do uh, a bi-monthly or, or a monthly uh, hangout where we, we do like an FAQ for a few hours and you know I can answer any questions and I can you know learn about specific things that you're doing. And right now, I don't have a lot of sponsors, so this is a great way to get on the ground floor and your voice <laughs> is actually worth more yeah. because I don't have that many sponsors right now. Uh, and you can, you can sell it to them as sort of like a support contract, you yeah. know, like you get to, you get to talk to one of the maintainers and I am going to make it a couple times a month, yeah. uh, a couple times a month so that, uh, anything that you're experiencing, you'll have a time where you'll be able to check in with, you know, with me. And I, I think I, I might have like other people from the core team and other people from the community join me sometimes,
0: Yeah.
1: uh, to like. Uh, talk about the things that you're experiencing, and also uh, learn about new resources, things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it. it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I guess what's the best way for people to to keep up with the stuff that you're working on and uh, any of the new stuff you're
1: doing? The best way to keep up with me is probably on Twitter and GitHub. I'm at crispyfritz in both places.
0: Awesome, man. Uh, well, thanks very much for coming on here and giving me your time. It's been a pleasure uh, chatting about these topics with you. And uh, I'm excited to see uh, what happens uh, with you being able to hopefully spend more time focusing on some of these uh, these bigger Vue community projects.
1: Oh, thank you. Oh, and this is one other thing that I want to mention real quick. We've been yeah. talking about anti patterns, and we should probably talk about like uh, patterns that are good. Sure. <laughs> we don't. We don't have that's like a whole other podcast. So we don't. Yeah. We don't have to go into it. But I do want to mention I have a repository um, at GitHub.com slash chrisvfritz slash view enterprise boilerplate uh, where you can uh, see a lot of the the like architecture and best practices that I put together for a lot of clients. Uh, basically, I was building like so many boilerplate projects for people that I just got like sick of it. <laughs> and decided like, okay, I'm just going to do it once and I'll maintain this once and then we can like move right past that part and then get to the more interesting work after that. Awesome. Uh, so definitely check that out. And, and once again, my Patreon is at patreon.com/slash chris view fritz. My middle name is not really view; it's Vincent. But <laughs> that's too bad. We're, we're, we're pretending it's it's view.
0: Perfect. Well, I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes, so people can uh, can definitely check it out. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on, man. It's been awesome having you.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. I'm a longtime listener.
0: (laughs) Awesome. That's great. So if anybody's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 87. Thanks to Rollbar and CodeChip for sponsoring the podcast this week. And if you want to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, that's currently the only type of review we're accepting, unfortunately. That would be uh, greatly (laughs) appreciated. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.